It's my privilege again this evening to introduce to you our speaker. He certainly doesn't need an introduction. But in case there's someone here that's not been around the Church of the Nazarene for more than three weeks. <laughs> Dr. Harold B. Graves, Jr. served as president of Nazarene Bible College since July 2006 when he was elected by the Board of Trustees on the very first ballot. Prior to his election, he was the district superintendent of the Northeast Oklahoma District. He has served the church as associate pastor, lead pastor of a number of our churches, including Plaza Church of the Nazarene in Charlotte, North Carolina, First Church of the Nazarene in Amarillo, Texas, Westchester Church of the Nazarene, Westchester, Ohio. Dr. Graves also held numerous district and regional church positions, including serving on the Board of Trustees for Mount Vernon Nazarene University for 13 years, Southern Nazarene University for five years, and then on the Nazarene Bible College for 13 years, where he served as the chairman of the Board of Trustees. Dr. Graves earned a Bachelor of Science degree in Religious Education from Olivet Nazarene University in 1974. In 2004, he was awarded the Honorary Doctor of Divinity degrees by Southern Nazarene University and Mount Vernon Nazarene University. He became an ordained elder in the Church of the Nazarene in 1979. Dr. Harold and his wife Cheryl have been married for 39 years. They have three adult children, Rebecca, Philip, Timothy, three grandsons, Ethan, Graham, and Titus, and one granddaughter who rules in her granddaddy's life, Olivia Ray. Would you join me in welcoming Dr. Harold Graves, Jr. as he brings to us his 10th report as our president. Well, that's a lot of stuff for Bubba, isn't it? Um, and just one correction. My wife would want me to correct this. We've been married 41 years. So uh, we're so, uh, so thankful. Uh, and uh, we're so blessed uh, to be here and to be a part of this college and what God is doing here. I've told many of you today that I know some people that get real nervous when the Board of Trustees come to town. Uh, I just can't wait till you get here. And the reason for that, so many of you I've known for years. And it's, it's more like a homecoming to me than it is a board meeting. So welcome, welcome back. And uh, thank you for your work today. They've been working today. They'll work tomorrow morning. I, I want to take a moment before I start in my report to acknowledge um, some folks that are dear friends. We, um, we started really our pastoral ministry together in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, Randy and I were uh, best buds. Uh, every Monday we got together, we were in churches that uh, had church leaders, right? And, and we would get together every Monday and, and console each other uh, and and really pulled each other through uh, many, many times. Um, this year, uh, Debbie's father, H.L. Shannon, 
a man that I got to meet, a godly man, went home to be with Jesus. And um, Randy and Debbie uh, wanted to do something for Nazarene Bible College in his honor. And uh, they gave us uh, a gift of $20,000. Now that's... I, I would like Randy and Debbie, Doctor, I should say Dr. Burtner and Debbie. If, now, she probably doesn't want to come up, uh, but she fell going into church Sunday and, and uh, banged her head, so she's going to put her glasses on. But um, I, I told our chairman tonight, uh, for us, a $20,000 gift is very significant. Now, I know some of our universities, they get those gifts all the time. But for us, this is significant because it helps our, and it was, it was an unrestricted gift for us to use as we need. And I wanted our students and faculty and staff to meet uh, Dr. Berkner. He is the district superintendent of North Arkansas District and uh, has uh, been a lifelong friend. And I want you to thank them tonight for their gift to NBC. Randy and I were young pastors, and um, very young pastors, really, too young. And uh, you know, when you're in your first church, you don't you don't you don't have a lot of sermons built up to draw from. And in those days, you had to you had to preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Do, you, do you, any of you remember those days? So maybe some of you still do it. Um, and uh, my father-in-law had mercy on me, and every Monday, he would buy the sermon tapes at College Church. Bill Draper, Bill Draper, some of you remember him, one of the great pulpiteers that we had in our, taken far too young, and he would mail me his tapes, his sermon tapes, and I had this little cassette recorder about this size. I would sit in my office and I would listen, I would open the Bible <clears throat> and I would listen to his sermon and then I would listen to it again and write it down longhand. And then after I'd written it down longhand, I typed it. And after I typed it, I preached it. And it was, it was at that desk that I learned, because as a Christian education major, I didn't take homiletics or any of that. And uh, it was through that process that I learned how to build a sermon. And I'm indebted to my father-in-law. Randy found out about it. <laughs> and I'd pass the tapes on to him. Name one of the sermons, right? Do you remember one of them? Altogether Christian. Remember, almost Christian. Remember First Church of Side Street? Yeah, that's a great sermon. 
The Dark Mile, those were good sermons. Those are good. <laughs> now, students, that's not how you're supposed to do it. Don't do it that way. <laughs> but let me just tell you, if you do, if you do it that way, find a good Nazarene preacher and preach their material. Don't be preaching some person that teaches contrary to our doctrine. Well, that's a sidebar. Well, let me, let me get into this report tonight, and um, we're going to have a, 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 this is just so different than what I've done in the last few years, and, and um, it might go a little longer, so faculty, I, I apologize right up front for taking some of your class time tonight, but uh, I've had some people helping me tonight, and I think you'll appreciate what they're going to do. So I, I address this to Chairman Roy Rogers and members of the Board of Trustees, administrators, faculty, staff, students, and friends of Nazarene Bible College. <laughs> I'm giving to you my 10th report. Michael, it just seemed like yesterday that we got here, doesn't it, buddy? Recent rulings by the United States Supreme Court have caused me to reflect on the culture in which we are preparing men and women to minister. Our mission states that NBC is an undergraduate professional school of Christian ministry committed to academic and practical programs designed to educate students for service and leadership in a diverse world. Perhaps the United States has never been more diverse than it is right now. Kathy Lynn Grossman wrote in USA Today, when it comes to religion, the USA is now land of the freelancers. In fact, the American Religious Identification Survey, ARIS, finds that despite growth and immigration that is adding nearly 50 million adults to the U.S. population, almost all religious denominations have lost ground since the first study in 1990. The Pew Research states the Christian share of the U.S. population is declining, while the number of U.S. adults who do not identify with any organized religion is growing. Moreover, these changes are taking place across the religious landscape, affecting all regions of the country and many demographic groups. While the drop in Christian affiliation is particularly pronounced among young adults, it is occurring among Americans of all ages. The Eris Report reports the Pew Research finding in a nation that has long been mostly Christian, the challenge to Christianity does not come from other religions, but from a rejection of all forms of organized religion. You see, secular writers and the media and groups continuously propagate the rise of secularism and the decline of religious influence on our culture, prophesying the death of God and marginalization of Christianity. Groups such as the Freedom From Religion Foundation, the Military F Religious Freedom Foundation, 
and the American atheists seem to be everywhere. Condemning and threatening Christian dialogue, symbols, and the practice thereof in the public square. John Meacham in Newsweek magazine wrote, let's be clear, while the percentage of Christians may be shrinking, rumors of the death of Christianity are greatly exaggerated. Being less Christian does not necessarily mean that America is post-Christian. A third of Americans say they are born again. This figure, along with the decline of politically moderate to liberal mainline Protestants, led the heiress authors to note that these trends suggest a movement towards more conservative beliefs and particularly to a more evangelical outlook among Christians. Pew Research states, to be sure, the United States remains home to more Christians than any other country in the world, and a large majority of Americans, roughly 7 in 10, continue to identify with some branch of the Christian faith. Here's what I'm trying to tell you, folks. The church is not dead. God is alive in America. The gospel is still being preached. Sinners are still being claimed. Lives are being transformed every day. And the world would have us believe, the culture in which we live would have us believe that we are a dying breed that needs to be put in a lockbox somewhere. But I'm telling you, there's no lockbox that's ever, that's ever held the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sorry about that on the PowerPoint. That was just something I added in there. I, I'm drawn to Meacham's statement. These trends suggest a movement towards more conservative beliefs and particularly to a more evangelical outlook among Christians. Don't move yet on that. Um, one of our graduates pastors a Calvary church here in town. One of the, one of the great preachers in our city. And uh, I asked him one day, I said, Al, Al Pittman's his name, I said, Al, Tell me, you went to this church and was running 100. And now you're, 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 you're running 1,500 in just a matter of months. Tell me, what, what is your secret, Al? I mean, what, we don't see that. What, what's your secret? He said, he looked at me and he said, Harold, he said, I tell you what. I preached the word line upon line, precept upon precept, and people are dying to hear the word of God preached. So in 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul writes to a church that because of increased persecution and suffering was withdrawing from their purpose and mission. The Thessalonians equated their suffering to the second coming of the Lord. Paul writes to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. 
William Barclay comments saying, Paul was telling the Thessalonians that they must give up their nervous, hysterical waiting for the second coming. He denied that he had ever said that the day of the Lord in fact had already come. He told them that before the day of the Lord could come, much was still to happen. Paul goes on to describe some of the things that will happen to reveal the day of the Lord. He, He pictures a growing rebellion against God. The emergence of one who was the devil incarnate as Christ had been God incarnate. And a final struggle and the ultimate triumph of God. Then in verses 13 through 15, Paul urges the Thessalonians to stand firm. Stand firm in the midst of uncertainty, persecution, and suffering. He he writes, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm, And hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. This admonition is what grabbed me. Stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. I've been thinking a little bit about traditions. Webster defines Tradition as a way of thinking, behaving, or doing something that has been used by the people in a particular group, family, society, for a a long time. The stories, beliefs uh, that have been part of the culture of a group of a people for for a long time. Uh, I like how Thomas Merton said it in No Man is an Island. He said, Tradition is living and active. Tradition does not form us automatically. We have to work to understand it. Tradition really teaches us to live and shows us how to take full responsibility for our own lives. Thus, tradition is is often flatly opposed to what is ordinary, to what is mere routine. Now hang with me. Tradition which is always old, is at the same time ever new because it is always reviving, born again in each new generation to be lived and applied in a new and particular way. Then he says, tradition nourishes the spirit. Thomas Moner, I, I think, gives some, um, some more clarification to this. I, I, If you're innovative and everything, don't worry. I'm not trying to take us back to 1950 or 40 or 30. Just hang with me on this. Molnar emphasizes that tradition is not a static concept opposed to change. Do you get that? It's not a static concept opposed to change. And we sometimes picture, you know, uh, worship wars and this type of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. He refers to tradition as a sacred model in which ancient societies periodically return to 
for self-renewal. He wrote, from this regular immersion in the origins, archaic man derived the energy to continue societal existence. Then he says, without the sacred model, the community was incapable of repairing or reforming itself. With its help, natural degeneracy was arrested, or rather abolished, so that life might begin again. So when I speak of tradition tonight, I'm not, I'm not referring to forms of worship or church practices uh, that, that are all methods. I'm talking about the sacred model of origins, like the Bible. Which, which are old and yet they're ever new. Reviving, renewing, and reminding us that, that the past can be born again in a new generation to be lived and applied in a new and particular way. Often symbols are used to illustrate these traditions. Symbols are something that stand for or suggest something else by relationship, association. For instance, a heart is a symbol for what? Love. Uh, the lion has become the symbol of courage. And the dove is a symbol of what? Peace. As a nation, we have symbols which represent our traditions. The flag of the United States. It has 50 stars representing the 50 states of the U.S., and the 13 stripes representing the 13 British colonies that declared independence from the kingdom of Great Britain and became the first states of the Union. The Statue of Liberty stands on Liberty Island in New York Harbor, a gift to the United States from France, representing the Roman, Roman, Roman goddess Libertas. And, and, and in that, she is, she is holding in her hand a tablet, and in that tablet is inscribed the date of the American Declaration of Independence. A broken chain lies at her feet. And this statue for generation has become an icon of freedom, welcoming people to the land of opportunity and freedom. So these iconic symbols for us as a country represent national traditions of freedom and liberty and the pursuit of happiness for all. Symbols are used by the church to illustrate message and mission. The Christian cross, for instance, is seen as a representation of the instrument of the crucifixion of Jesus and is the best known symbol of Christianity around the world. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper, where the bread and wine are symbols of what? His broken body and shed blood. The seal of the Church of the Nazarene symbolizes the denominational mission to bring the holiness message to the world. When Nazarene Bible College has symbols deeply embedded in our tradition which have become illustrative of our mission as an undergraduate professional school of Christian ministry committed to the academic and practical programs designed to educate students for service and leadership in a diverse world. 
Dr. Ron Addict has spent his working life dedicated to preparing adults to evangelize, disciple, and minister to our world. With more than 40 years as a faculty member, he is uniquely, uniquely qualified to, to speak to you to two symbols that exemplify our mission. Dr. Addy. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And in his Sermon on the Mount, he said, you are like a light to the whole world. Make your light shine. The Olympic Games are a vivid reminder that the torch has been a powerful and inspiring symbol throughout ancient and modern history. The founding faculty and administration of Nazarene Bible College envisioned our graduates as torch bearers, taking the light of Christ to a world lost in darkness. In the beginning years, they instituted what has become a treasured tradition on this campus for 45 years. We call it the torch ceremony. It has truly become a centerpiece in our commencement weekends. In this impressive ceremony, an alumnus hands the flaming torch to the graduates with this challenge. As you receive this flame, you have a charge to keep, a God to glorify, a never-dying soul to save. Graduates take the torch into their own hands speak words that express their heart's purpose, and then pass the flame to each other. Following their sacred vows, a first-year student receives the torch from the class as a representative of hundreds of men and women who are finding their way to this institution to have their lamps trimmed for more effective service. The impact of this tradition it's really difficult to calculate. Some stories associated with this event are indelibly etched in my memory. I remember the year that Dan Rose came to his brother's graduation. Now, Dan was not a believer. But he witnessed the testimonies of the torch ceremony. And his spirit was captivated by the dedication and by the commitment expressed. So after returning home, God started talking to his heart. It's a great story. Eventually, God called him to preach. And then he came to Nazarene Bible College to get equipped. At his own graduation, he held the torch and made his vow. Today, Dan is faithfully serving the Church of the Nazarene on the East Coast. He has also done some mission work in countries like Africa, Australia, France, England. I'm reminded that the torch ceremony has an intergenerational legacy. This past May, Betty Oswega held the torch that had been passed to her from her father, through hundreds of hands. You see, 
he graduated four decades before. In a recent conversation I had with the alumnus, Steve Bell, he quoted verbatim the vow he made 32 years ago. I have to say, I was amazed when he just quoted that. He said, I still keep that well-aged slip of paper in the rim of a painting in my office. Thousands of family and friends have witnessed the sincere and certain vows expressed by our graduates each year. Here is a sampling from this past year. In 1999, the Lord came to a prison cell and entered into my heart. He changed my life and caused me to understand that he was moving and wanted me to be and go forward and to present the gospel to this dying world. I make a vow to my Lord here today that as the message of the light was brought into that dark prison cell, I will carry that light to the same place and bring his light into that prison cell. Lord, you formed me. You sought me. You redeemed me. You healed me. You delivered me. You've called me, and to this I commit, Lord, here am I, send me. Today, I take vow to take the highway of holiness. Thank to God to take me through to this journey and continue to be holy. Thanks to God. God has given to me a passion and a calling to preach his message. And so, through the power of God the Father, through the love of his Son, Jesus Christ, and through the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, I will proclaim his message of salvation and holiness so that people may know and understand in full confidence. The songwriter said it well. The world lies in darkness, lost in their sin, and they don't even know the danger they're in. Our graduates, who are called to his glorious light, shine like a beacon of love in the night. A second symbol that clearly illustrates the mission of Nazarene Baba College is beautifully illustrated in the stained glass windows of this chapel. The sending tradition of our Lord is always old, yet ever new. It is born again in each new generation. We are a sending institution. Our students, called by Christ, are modern-day apostles. We celebrate our mission as in what we call the call and, and response of apostles. This ceremony originated at the dedication of the Apostles' Court in 1975. Yes, I was there. <laughs> in the planning, President Oliver approached uh, Professor Audrey Williamson, asking her to prepare an appropriate ceremony to mark that occasion. So we selected students to dramatically portray the Apostles' from the biblical account of Christ's calling. 
you see Audrey Williamson standing there with them. Well, the impressiveness and the challenge of our first apostle ceremony was so memorable that the administration requested repeat performances. And 40 plus years have come and gone, and the ceremony continues. This past commencement season, the college hosted a 40th anniversary reunion for NBC apostles. We asked 11 of those former apostles to repeat their original portrayal. Here's a sampling. I am John, the beloved. Of all the 12, I was closest to the master. I was at the Jordan when he was baptized. I was with him at the transfiguration and in the Garden of Gethsemane. I alone was with him at the cross. And now you will hear Rolf Kleinfeld, who portrayed Nathaniel in 1985. You need to know that Rolf and his wife, Debbie, have faithfully served the Church of the Nazarene in the Asia-Pacific region. He returned this year from Cambodia to participate. Nathaniel, Bartholomew. I am Nathaniel, or also known as Bartholomew. Philip was my friend, and it was he who brought me to Jesus. See, we studied prophecy together, and Philip was sure that he had found the Messiah. Well, as we approached the master, he looked at me and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. I was astounded that he seemed to know me. And he replied, While you were praying under the fig tree, I saw you, and I knew you. I cried, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. I became one of the most adventurous missionaries of all, traveling as far as Egypt and Armenia. I knew no half measures. Think of me as one totally dedicated. And now, Simon the Zealot speaks for all of the apostles. But then Jesus came, and he called, and we followed him, and he changed us completely. Nowhere was the transforming power of the love of Christ demonstrated more convincingly than in the apostolic band. Students who have participated throughout the decades have valued this experience as one of the highlights of their time at Nazarene Bible College. This unforgettable annual reenactment is combined with our torch ceremony and what we call the convocation service. The Apostles' Court, with its landmark bell tower, is the setting. Twelve walkways projecting from the center lead in all directions. That is symbolic. Commissioned by God, our graduates have literally taken the light of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Graduates who leave Nazarene Baba College each year to fulfill God's call demonstrate the same dedication, the same faithfulness, 
and the same boldness of the first century apostles. These symbols, these traditions at Nazarene Bible College are convincing illustrations that we are committed to the sacred model given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. Our graduates will carry the torch. They will lift high the light. They will march through the darkness with the light of his name till the glory of God is seen by the world. Foremost on the seal of Nazarene Bible College is an open Bible. After all, we are a Bible college. The Bible is at the core of our curriculum and central to everything we do. Through the years, we have been blessed to have outstanding Bible teachers on our faculty, men and women who loved God, served Him faithfully. Certainly, Dr. Tom King and Dr. Dan Powers follow in that rich tradition of scholars who love God's word and teach it with passion. Dr. Tom King serves as director of, Bible, uh, director of our Bible and theology program, and I've asked him to share how the Bible is a symbol of our mission. Bible is indeed NBC's middle name. As colleges around the country aspire to become universities, Nazarene Bible College, with honor and gratitude, has always found fulfillment and divine direction in remaining a Bible college. The Bible is indeed central to our mission. Every traditional degree student graduates with a first major in Bible. The Bible and Theology Corps is a 30-semester credit hour requirement for each of our regular bachelor degree programs. Secondarily, students may choose a major which further defines their educational program. We are not fundamentalists in our approach to the Bible, but rather we are staunchly Wesleyan and Nazarene. The 2013 General Assembly of the Church of the Nazarene affirmed our stance regarding the Holy Scriptures by continuing to sanction what I consider the exceptional wording of the Article of Faith on Holy Scriptures, specifically the key phrase describing the Holy Scriptures as inerrantly revealing the will of God concerning us in all things necessary to our salvation. Our students learn that the Bible is full of history, but it is not a history book. It refers to geography, but it is not a geography text. It prompts scientific questions, but it is not a science manual. The Bible is God's written revelation to humanity. We are not threatened by the realities of the context within which God has chosen to reveal his word. The Bible was revealed in and through human history, and it comes to us in the form of literature. Thus, we apply historical, critical, and literary methods of investigation to the study of God's Word. At the same time, 
we never lose sight of the fact that the ultimate source of this written revelation is divine, with a saving and theological message unlike any other literary work on the planet. As a result, our study is encompassed from beginning to end by the guidance of the Holy Spirit through prayer. The Bible is central to our mission. As the subject of intellectual and systematic inquiry, However, its value and our study must never end with that truth. We investigate the biblical text as a source of faith and the revelation of God's will and message for humanity. Thereby, NBC's purpose to glorify Jesus Christ as Lord by preparing adults to evangelize, disciple, and minister to the world is grounded in God's word revealed in the Bible. Some of you might remember that Dr. King chaired the general church study of our article on the Bible and presented that at the last general assembly. I am one college president that never has to stay awake at night worrying about what our Bible teachers are teaching our students. Thanks be to God. A recent symbol of our mission is the servant's towel. During commencement, after each graduate receives his or her diploma, a towel is draped over his or her arm. This towel has become a symbol of servanthood to our world. We have many examples of that, even in this room tonight. But I've asked Tim McKithen uh, to share tonight uh, his journey, his servanthood to the church. Tim? God calls people to serve him in the ministry from every corner of the world, and I can personally testify to that fact. But my story first starts in the United States. I earned bachelor's and master's degrees in classical music performance from Johns Hopkins University. This training was very specialized, and it enabled me to win full-time employment in two international symphony orchestras. My first job was in Hong Kong, China, with the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra. And for five years, I performed hundreds of concerts a year in Hong Kong and throughout most of Asia. At the end of five years, I won a position in Barcelona, Spain with the Barcelona Opera Company. And for nine years, I performed hundreds of concerts a year in Barcelona and throughout Europe. God had clearly opened doors for me to perform music all over the world. But that was not all God was doing. I had been raised in a Christian home. I had received Christ as my personal savior as a child. I gladly was an involved member of the Nazarene churches wherever I lived, in the United States or overseas. I taught Sunday school classes, I was a member of the church board, and I always was a member of the worship team. I'd also grown up hearing about the Great Commission, 
and about God's call to make disciples of all nations. I felt tremendously blessed and privileged to be able to live on the mission field. And who were my musical co-workers and colleagues? They were Chinese, Korean, Filipino, Japanese, Polish, Romanian, French, German, Spaniard. Every day in the orchestra, I was surrounded by the United Nations. These people were from all the nations of the world, and very few of them had ever heard, uh, really heard, about Jesus Christ. During our time in Hong Kong, for instance, with the uh, the help of the Nazarene missionaries there, we began reaching out to these colleagues, inviting them to church, and starting two Bible studies. When we moved to Spain, we continued this tent-maker missionary approach. Uh, we weren't trying to be missionaries. We were just trying to win our co-workers and neighbors to Christ. And God blessed us tremendously. But that wasn't all God was doing. He always seemed to be opening new doors for us. One day in Spain, we were asked by the missionaries to pastor the Barcelona church. This caught us completely by surprise. We had never studied to be pastors or missionaries, but we prayed and we accepted the call. I continued playing concerts each night with the orchestra, but I began to pastor in Spanish a small but growing congregation of Spanish people. God repeatedly impressed upon us a call to make disciples. We were to try to reach for Christ a multitude of people who had never before met an evangelical Christian, especially one who was a foreigner in their country. For five and a half years, I pastored the Barcelona Church as a bivocational pastor. We really were tent maker missionaries. God had opened doors for me to not only perform music all over the world, but now he was using me as a pastor in a country that had very few churches. But that was not all God was doing. When we had prayed and had said yes to pastor the church, we asked if there were any way to begin studying for the ministry because we knew we were not yet fully equipped to be pastors. However, we also knew that having a full-time job plus pastoring a congregation would limit my options to study, and this was long before online learning. Also, the nearest Nazarene churches were 300 miles away. I might be able to take a few classes here or there, but I knew that this would be very limited, and plus it would take an almost an eternity to finish. Toward the end of the year of our nine years in Spain, we began to sense God's leading to pursue full-time missionary career. Music was beautiful, but God had something bigger in mind. We could now see that God had taken us to the far corners of the world to call and prepare us to be missionaries. We had come to know and love lots of lost people in foreign lands. They needed to hear about Christ in their language. God was calling us to do something about that. We began to search for a special place where we could prepare ourselves for full-time ministry. I'd always heard about Nazarene Bible College and how it was dedicated to preparing adults in ministry, folks who might have come from a previous career. That had to be the place. So I contacted Nazarene Bible College. They said, yes, we can help you prepare for the ministry. We help prepare missionaries too. I resigned from the orchestra. I resigned from pastoring the church. I ended my musical, professional musical career, and just like thousands of other students before us, we sold everything and came to Colorado Springs to Nazarene Bible College. 
I graduated from here a few years later, and we received a call from the Church of Nazarene to become full-time missionaries to South America. We served in the 10 countries there for 10 years. I'd like to finish with a short note. Now that we are back in the United States, again at Nazarene Bible College, I'm program director here for the Hispanic pastoral ministry degree. Who are the people that I now have the privilege of helping prepare for the ministry? They are Spanish-speaking students living here in the United States, taking NBC classes online. Where are they from? Our students are from Mexico, Guatemala, El Salvador, Dominican Republic, Bolivia, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Ecuador, Argentina, Colombia, literally from every corner of the Latin American world. And they are all coming to Nazarene Bible College to prepare themselves to fulfill God's call in their lives to Christian ministry in the Spanish language. We say, thank you, Lord. Glory to your name. You did this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Thank you. Thank each of you for sharing tonight. And what they have shared with you will be in your report that you'll receive tomorrow. I'm most grateful for the administrators, faculty, and staff of Nazarene Bible College who model servanthood every day as they serve Christ, our students, our alumni, and the church. Our senior leadership team of Dr. Alan Light. Dr. David Church, Mrs. Shirley Cadle, and Mr. Fred Phillips give outstanding leadership to the academic enrollment management, finance, and IT departments. They are exemplary of the servant towel approach to ministry. They are my colleagues and my friends. I'm blessed to serve alongside them. Would you please stand so we can acknowledge you? Now? In his report to the board, Dr. Alan Like wrote, the faculty of Nazarene Bible College is the foundation of the college's academic enterprise. Their efforts undergird the school's fine academic standing and the quality of education offered by its programs. The college faculty consists of full-time resident faculty, part-time contractual faculty, and adjunct instructors. Each group is vital to the college's ability to staff our various academic programs with credentialed and experienced women and men who are well-grounded in their academic disciplines and who have practiced what they preach and who are adept at using appropriate teaching methods with the college's adult learners in either traditional campus or online teaching learning environments. We have a wonderful faculty, a wonderful faculty. I'd like for them to stand tonight so we can acknowledge them.
there's really no group of people more dedicated to serving our administrators, faculty, student, and alumni than the NBC staff. Their commitment to customer service and to the mission of the college is above the ordinary. They are great people whom I respect and care for deeply. I'd like for our staff to stand tonight. And students, we're glad you're here tonight. Well, just stand so we can acknowledge you tonight. Students, some of you, we're glad you're here. <laughs> Alumnus Ruben Villarreal had a moving post on his Facebook page about a symbol that stands tall in the very center of the Apostles' Court. It is at the base of the bell tower that our graduates hold the torch and make their pledge to serve Christ, his church, and the world. Reuben wrote, Jesus put his hand on my shoulder 20 years ago and asked me to help him build his church. And my life has never been the same. I took this picture in the middle of the Apostles' Court, located at Nazarene Bible College in Colorado Springs. There are 12 walkways leading to these steel beams. At the center of the walkways stands this 90-foot bell tower in Carillon. The three spires of the tower symbolize the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a sacred place. where men and women are sent out to serve his church. And Reuben says, during my entire time at NBC, I made a personal decision to never walk to the base of these towers until the day of my graduation. I knew it was a sacred place where I would say yes to the building of his church. So for almost four years, I would intentionally walk around this tower as I walked to this campus until the day I graduated. Now, I stand at the base of this tower that represents the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I've been a pastor for almost 20 years. I say yes again. It's an honor to help my Savior build his church, humbled that he would use me in spite of me. When I talk about traditions, I'm talking about these symbols the Bible, the torch, the apostles, the towel, and the bell tower. 
They're all traditions that tell a story of the NBC mission. Like Reuben, these traditions are sacred models of origins, while old are ever new, reviving, renewing, and reminding us that the past is born again in a new generation to be lived and applied in a new and particular way. These are challenging days for Christian colleges and universities that hold to the traditional view of scripture and practice. There is uncertainty to what the future might hold given the hostility toward Christianity and the rulings of a godless state. The secularization of education, void of Christian influence, will make it increasingly difficult for these Christian colleges and universities to stay on mission. Some, and already some, are compromising, losing their spiritual moorings and drifting away from traditions upon which they were founded. Others will revisit the sacred model of origins, reviving, renewing, and reminding them that the past is born again in a new generation to be lived and applied in a new and particular way. This has been my desire in this report. I want you to know where I stand as president of Nazarene Bible College. There are certain traditions or principles, if you will, and maybe that's a better word. There are certain principles that are non-negotiable. I believe there is evil in this world and that there is a power behind that evil. I believe that God has called his servants to minister grace in this dark and fallen world. I believe that God is in control, that he hasn't lost control. That God is God. He will always be God. I believe that we can trust the God who has called us as his messengers of his gospel. And I believe that the ultimate triumph of God is certain. To that end, to that end, Nazarene Bible College will continue to light the torch, teach the Bible, call for commitment, model service, and by offering to our students the best education possible to train them and prepare them to be his servants and to be his leaders in a diverse world. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord.
because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm and hold to the principles that you were taught either by spoken word or by our letter. And now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them every good work and word. Hear this song as a testimony of God's grace. This mountain that's in front of me will be tossed into the depths of the sea.
you sing those words tonight? Thank you, Dr. Graves, for reminding us it is well. It's not only well with NBC, it is well with us. Graduates, alumni, friends, how many people's lives have been changed because a man had a vision, took it to the Northwest, presented it to the Church of the Nazarene as a challenge. Here it is. And I don't care what they're saying tonight on any of the TV stations. Our president has reminded us they're not in charge. I read the end of the book. It is well 
Oh God, thank you tonight for your faithfulness. Ten years ago, the Board of Trustees was walking through transition and your infinite wisdom you have given to us a man who's not just a president. He is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ who rules and reigns in his heart, mind, who models for men and women that come to this place and reminds us there's a tower out there that points us to the living Christ who rules and reigns, who died and rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us tonight. Oh God, thank you for your faithfulness to NBC, to our president and all who work and minister here and all the people said, Amen. Would you like to say to our, our president again and his lady how much we appreciate their ministry? Thank you so much. God bless you. You are dismissed.